This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a phenomenal episode. We've got Cal Inman. He is the CEO of Climate Check, website climatecheck.com. And really why we brought Cal on the show is he is looking at climate change and how it impacts real estate from almost an investment lens, but also just an educational lens. Well, I think really an educational lens, the way I've been thinking about climatecheck.com, and this is a website where you can basically punch in any address in the United States and it will give you a score, like right. an environmental- Almost like walk score. Exactly. That's where I was going. This is basically walk score for how any given property will perform with a number of different variables in a world in which the climate is changing very quickly. Yeah. Very, very interesting conversation. And one thing I'll say about this, we've been thinking about climate change and it comes up over and over on this show, but it's very, very difficult to find somebody who can kind of marry real estate, real estate investing and climate change the way Cal Inman does. And he lectures at UC Berkeley. He's a developer in the Bay Area. This is a great conversation and it's the moment to be thinking about this in British Columbia. And and you know what? It's so interesting the way the conversation has changed. And I, I say interesting, I really mean terrifying. When we look at like the conversations we were having in even the early days of this podcast, the first episode of this podcast, we did the top, what, 10 reasons that people invest in Vancouver. 
And I think it was based on that New York Times article. Oh, it was a New Yorker article. Or a New yeah. Yorker article. And it was based on the idea, one of them, was that it's it's like a safe place from climate it's change. very it, well it's, situated. It's very well situated in the world as we enter these uncertain times with global warming, et cetera. And now look at the conversation. It's something that almost everybody investing in BC is talking about and thinking about right now. Right. And I don't know if that's actually proved accurate that we're we're very well situated well this is i feel like we're the the interesting thing is when we our first episode ever i remember bringing up all those points from that new yorker article i vaguely remember at the time thinking wow the smart money because a lot of that the driving force of that article was international money coming to vancouver and why sure and i was thinking wow these guys are really ahead of the curve that they're thinking about they're actually buying real estate based on predictions of where climate change is going to be uh, less impactful. Right. And now that's like a given. It literally, this is climatecheck.com. This is a given that you have to be thinking about whether it's a single property or an area of the world is going to be impacted. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And of all the things that we have the potential to be wrong about on this show, I really hope that we're not wrong about Vancouver being well situated, but this has been an eye-opening uh, year. Great conversation with Cal Inman. Can't wait to get into this. Before we do, Matt, we're of course sponsored this week. By- we are we are sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in the city. If you are a new agent, an aspiring agent, just somebody looking to make a change, looking to join one of the fastest growing, maybe Dynamic the fastest growing real estate companies in the Lower Mainland. Head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That is oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. The reason to do this, of course, is you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, but you get a huge incentive for heading to oakland.com slash join and typing in VRP 2020. Yeah. And I think before we cut to this interview, I think I was telling you this, uh, I started this story. I never, I never finished it. Yeah. I I want to hear. So yeah, I'm on my way up to the office a few hours ago. And I'm, I get in the elevator and this music's playing in the elevator and it's, uh, the dreaming tree is the song. It's a Dave Matthews song. First of all, I and think, did you Shazam that or did no, you know that? I knew that. I, I knew that. I'm That's not embarrassing. Go to tell on. you, tell you why <laughs> and how, but I was like, ah, oh, this is an interesting song to be playing in an elevator. It's kind of sad and woeful. Yeah. Um, and but you're like kind of groovy, but I'm kinda, shaking your head, but, yeah, but I kind of want to braid someone's hair. So I, we get to the ground floor. I meant that in like a like a massage circle. Is yeah. that was Dave Matthews? Is that did yeah, that come I across? Think, no, I think that come, that a, came across. Yeah, that feels maybe more rave than Dave Matthews. But anyways, rave Matthews. It was a groovy I, I time. Get, I get the, uh, the to the second or to the ground floor, and someone gets in the You're elevator. You're coming up from the parkade. I'm coming from the parkade, and the guy kind of gives me this look. And we're both sitting there listening you, to the you Dave Matthews. Give a nod, like, yeah, it's nice, right? Yeah. Well, and then it occurs to me as we're coming up to my floor that the elevator, I'm like, this elevator doesn't have music. <laughs> it was my iPhone playing Dave Matthews in my pocket. And this guy's looking at me like, like I'm lost. <laughs> I know. Like I've lost my marbles. Talk about embarrassing. I And, I, and I, of all the songs too. Well, yeah. Dreaming Tree. I'm like crying into it. And so I, so I'm not a huge, I'm by no fan, no means a, a Dave Matthew completist, but Here's the thing. Yeah. I've got a lot of music on my, uh, oh, on yeah. my Apple you're, music. You're an eclectic. It's an eclectic <laughs> it's taste. Yeah. Eclectic <laughs> taste. 
<laughs> but anytime I ever have my music coming to stage, it's always it's always some it's always Dave Matthews. It's always something my wife downloaded. All right. Well, let's further <laughs> without further ado, let's cut to our conversation with Callum. This is a great conversation and actually a little bit uplifting. I I feel like I, I'm kind of seeing a lot of climate change and kind of zero Negative sum terms. zero sum. Yeah, like it's either yay or nay. And Cal kind of has a more subtle take on it. Uh, this is a great conversation. So enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Cal Inman, CEO of Climate Check. How you doing, Cal? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks, Cal, so much for taking the time, especially uh, close to the Thanksgiving in the States. Uh, we really appreciate your time. I look forward to chatting. Maybe, uh, Cal, for our listeners here in the Lower Mainland, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, totally. My, uh, my background is in real estate, specifically commercial real estate. I've run a development shop in the Bay Area since 2009, doing small urban infill projects, residential, small office projects, retail, things of that sort. Uh, about five years ago, four years ago, I started lecturing at UC Berkeley in the Master's in Real Estate Development Program, uh, which has been a great experience. And it was there I came across all of this uh, climate science, climate data. And it was super intriguing. And that was kind of how we got Climate Check off the ground. Can you tell us a little bit about Climate Check? I think, you know, it hasn't, uh, or at least not yet, it hasn't launched in Canada. But can you tell us about basically the, the idea behind it and the goals of Climate Check? Yeah, totally. I'll give you a little bit of the origin story. And I think even before I start there, I think for any listener, they can kind of check out on the internet, climatecheck.com, and you can type in any address in the United States right now, and it'll give you a little demo of, of what we do. Really high level, we, we give property level assessment of that property's risk to climate change. So we look at natural hazards that are affected by climate change. We look at fire, flood, precipitation, extreme heat, drought, and continuing to add in new hazards like wind and others that are affected. And uh, a bit of the company's origin story is, yeah, this data has been out, you know, out there for a while. It's kind of lived within academia and the government. Got a lot of smart climatologists that have been studying this stuff their entire career. And uh, the real impetus for the company was kind of the realization that institutional investors, and I'm talking about really big limited partners, folks on Wall Street, uh, we're using this data uh, to inform the real estate decision making, and I, I thought to myself, "Wow, that's that seems important. It seems like an important factor to consider when you're buying a property, what if you own a property, or if you're selling a property." And it turned out that data is not really that accessible to everyone else. So that kind of became the company mission at Climate Check is to be a one-stop shop, aggregate all the best climate data, and explain it in a really easy-to-understand way to anyone, uh, whether you're a homeowner, small investor, large investor, lender, municipality, whoever, to bring the best climate data and make it really easy to understand and actionable. 
Cal, I'm, I'm just thinking right now in, in BC, you know, all summer we had uh, fires in the Okanagan. It used to be something that happened every so often. Now it seems to happen every year. We're currently in a state of crisis. We've had mudslides. Well, literally slides. a state of emergency. Yeah, literally a state of emergency right now with atmospheric uh, rivers and, and mudslides and highways closed down. It used to be, and, and Matt and I were talking about this before before we called you, it used to be that you would buy and invest in real estate and and climate change would never cross your mind. And I feel like that was even just a few like years literally ago. two, three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now I feel like it's, it's one of the most important things to consider when buying real estate. When did you start noticing this as like a, a, a gap? And, and when did you start thinking that there was an audience for this, this type of data? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, look, your experience is, uh, is not uncommon. No matter where we live, uh, we're seeing increased frequency and intensity of, of these events. So it's something super tangible to everybody, uh, no matter where you are. And then we're reading about it in the paper all the time. So I think that creates awareness of the issue uh, just firsthand and through the press. And so I think kind of demand is born out of that. And we started the company kind of me as the first consumer. I was curious, hey, are my properties in the San Francisco Bay going to flood with sea level rise? Or are my my rental units in the Berkeley Hills where I experienced a fire in uh, 1991? Is that going to happen again? And this stuff seems to be getting worse. But there's no real data around it. No one's putting clear rails on it and giving kind of really granular property-specific information. It was all very broad. And I think that's a lot what you read in the paper, too. It's like very broad ideas that aren't tangible, right? Like ice caps melting, uh, certain species of animals dying. But I think people really care and concerned about their, their biggest investments, their real estate. Um, and I think... Kind of the second big thing that's happening beyond just folks feeling the changes of, of uh, uh, within the climate and natural hazard, younger generations that are more concerned and aware of it, is just the ingestion of data in real estate. Real estate's progressed wildly fast. And I think the decisions around kind of back of the napkin approach to buying an investment property and the close relationships around that have progressed a lot too. Massive amounts of data ingestion to make a real estate decision. Demographics, population growth, jobs, you know, office occupancy levels, and all sorts of stuff. So I think whether you're a small investor or a big investor, I think people are, are getting more and more used to taking in data. So it's fitting that climate data is, that should, should, should kind of be a piece of information that's considered in due diligence. Just thinking about the whole goal of Climate Check Cal, and this is kind of a I guess, behind the scenes kind of question, but you start lecturing at UC Berkeley, you come across all this data, which is fairly academic and unavailable and probably hard to interpret for most regular people. Can you just talk about the process of, of basically taking reams and reams of data from presumably a variety of different institutions and turning it into easily digestible information that, you know, if you were in where you can literally type in an address and, and, and get a report. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. How's the sausage made? Yeah. yeah. It sounds like a complicated well, that's sausage. An expensive JSTOR membership. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no yeah. I, uh, 
I'll give you my high-level layman's uh, summary of it. And uh, I think the bottom line is I rely on a lot of people, you know, our entire team's passionate about what they do. Smart people that understand data, climatology, and the tech stack really make our product work. But I think fundamentally what we do is foremost, we rely on a network of scientific advisors because the science and understanding of the science is constantly changing. The best practices for interpretation and climate models is always evolving. So we rely on these scientific advisors who are active in academia, who are researching, publishing, and reading the best research to kind of guide us toward hey, what are the best data sets and how, how should we be thinking about wildfire? How should we be thinking about extreme heat? How should we be communicating this? We know what elements of the data are important to folks. And so that that's really the first step, which is just very academic and exploratory. And then internally, we everyone on our team codes, they're all data scientists. Uh, we bring in terabytes and terabytes of data and then process it to really get kind of these actionable insights from the data. And then there's a whole tech stack that allows it to be searched by parcel, latitude, longitude, or really any polygon. So imagine if you're a municipality and you want to understand how many rooftops in your city are have a risk of flood, we can kind of provide really, really insightful information from the data. And then just Kind of the last step is is the business part of it is getting the data out to folks. It's, we we can make it easy to understand, easy to read, but easy to access is another step that's uh, complex and takes time. Right, getting it tied to real estate listings, getting it to places where people are ingesting real estate data. Right, understanding the schools, the price point of data, and we want to see climate data alongside that information on every real estate listing you know, on every place that people access real estate data. So that's kind of a very high level how the sausage is made. Right. And and can we talk for listeners who I would guess a lot of people are going to go to climatecheck.com and test out the experience for themselves. But can we talk a little bit about what people can expect with your climate risk assessment tools? Yeah, totally. So our website, again, is a great place to demo it. Type in any address and we give these five risks a rating of one through 100, one being the best, 100 being the worst. And it's a relative rating because we find that you know every property, every piece of land is, is affected by climate change in some way. But what's important to understand is how is that relative to all the other properties that one might be looking at? And then we give really meaningful narrative about what that means. So I'll give you a, a simple example. For heat, for instance, if you live in, you know, I think before we were talking about the Phoenix area, if you live in Phoenix, we tell you what a hot day in Phoenix is. So every rating for every individual area is relative to that specific area. So we tell you what a hot day in Phoenix is, how many times a year that happens. So let's say there's 10 hot days in Phoenix a year, and these aren't the exact numbers. And maybe that's 105 degrees Fahrenheit. and how many times is that going to happen by 2050? And we use 2050 as a benchmark in the future, kind of tracks the uh, 30-year mortgage we have. And it's kind of a, there's, there's some material difference when you get out three decades. 
And then we say, how many times is that hot day going to happen in the future? And, you know, maybe it's happening 40, 40 times in the future. So, you know, you're going from eight hot days to 40 hot days. You don't quote me on those exact numbers, right. but that's kind of an example of some meaningful data that kind of anyone can understand. It's like, okay, we have 10 hot days, eight, eight hot days now, and we're having 40 in the future. That's, that's a lot more hot days. And what does that mean? It means more air conditioning. Maybe we need better insulation. Our utility costs will likely go up. There's quality of life issues. And then and then there's bigger kind of infrastructure issues around it too. So a lot of kind of considerations when you're thinking about something as simple as uh, extreme heat. And we do that for all the hazards. And just to go back, so like, and I think we talked offline here, Cal, about kind of this idea that there was a realization, well, basically the idea that smart money was using this data and and it wasn't accessible to to regular people. And and we've had a lot of people on our show that kind of operate in that institutional investing realm to to talk about kind of how they're approaching the market. When you made that realization, is that the type of information, like when you talk about how the risk assessment tool works, is that how, you know, Wall Street folks and institutional investors are are using that data? Yeah, totally. And uh, I mean, they're using it in a lot of ways. And, you know, me as a small developer investor in the Bay Area, I always try to watch what the big dogs are doing, uh, as you put it, the smart money, because there's a lot to learn, you know, and they have a lot of resources. And uh, I I think you can really get an alpha on your investments just by kind of following someone uh, that's doing something a little more critically. The data right now within commercial real estate is being used in a few different ways and for a few different reasons. The ways it's being used is for due diligence of new properties. So something as simple as, hey, we're looking at other underground storage tanks, this commercial property we're buying. You know, is there some type of liability for environmental cleanup we need? And then they're looking at climate data saying, hey, is there going to be some increased risk for flooding on this property or increased risk for fire? I think that's fundamentally how it's used for due diligence. And then the next step is just kind of ongoing portfolio management. So looking at your overall portfolio properties, understanding what the risks are and what the future risks are, and then figuring out ways to mitigate those risks. So yeah, coming back to extreme heat, there's a big investor we're working with that's kind of just taking a piece at a time, looking at extreme heat in their office portfolio. And they're saying, hey, what CapEx, capital expenditure projects, can we put into these buildings to reduce our utility bills? Because we know it's going to get hotter. We know we're going to be blowing more AC into these office buildings. What can we do to reduce our utility costs, reduce our carbon emissions, and, and, and really mitigate against extreme heat? So that's kind of the portfolio management piece of how it's used. And then kind of the last piece is, when you look at these big data sets, it can start informing investment theses. And I think we talked about a bit about this too on our previous calls. You know, where should I be investing? Maybe I shouldn't be investing in this waterfront area, or maybe I want to be in an area that's not going to be way overburdened by extreme heat, or maybe water scarcity is part of my investment thesis. And, and I really care about access to water over the long term. And I think that'll affect value. So I think those are kind of the big buckets of how folks within commercial real estate are using it. And then why they're using it is a kind of a whole other conversation. And there's probably some big buckets of why people are using it. The first is it's becoming best practices for due diligence. So 
if a few people are using a data set to inform, you don't want to be the last one like holding that potato, right? You don't want to be the last guy with a, a property with a really nasty underground storage tank in 1990. And, like no one's going to buy your property. <laughs> so I think that's for sure like the main reason people are using it, just best becoming best practices. And then there's also the ESG world, environmental social governance funds that a lot of investors are required to uh, comply with with different things. So within the environmental piece, it's, you know, what's your, what's your carbon output of this building? But it's also, what's your building's risk to climate change? And that's, a, that's for reporting, monitoring, and then mitigating those risks. And then the last thing we're seeing in the U.S. is just a big push for, really, it's government regulation. A lot of different branches of the government are signaling that these climate risk disclosures, the type of data we're providing, is going to be required for, for companies and lenders. And so looking at individual assets and portfolios and saying, hey, you need to disclose, it's a material disclosure to everyone what your risk to climate change is. So those are kind of all the reasons that people are ingesting climate risk data. So they kind of like most data sets in real estate, like the, it comes to the consumer and the small investor last. And that's really the, the problem we're trying to solve is, is let, let's get this data to everyone else. Let's get to all the small guys. Right. And, and, you know, just thinking about this, and this is, I'm hoping I'm going to frame this right, but in your experience, and if we're talking about the big dogs or the smart money, then this is a strange way to say it, but is everyone using it? And maybe at this point, and I'll may, maybe I'll try and explain this. Basically, you know, we've talked about kind of the, the, the Starbucks effect before where, you know, you used to follow the Starbucks in terms of neighborhoods uh, as Starbucks moved in, you know, the prices would go up, that type of thing. But when it comes to climate change, it seems like at least our thinking on it has shifted so quickly, like in the last two, three years that, you know, we look at markets in, say, the Okanagan here. So Kelowna is an example of a market in the interior in British Columbia, where the University of British Columbia has recently went in there. So there's a new campus, which is really exciting. They've upgraded their, they have the regional hospital there. They have the airport for the entire region is there now. And they seem to be developing very, very quickly. And yet over the summer and potentially every summer moving forward, if you're buying property there and you're completing on it, you can't get insurance because the fire risks, right? So I'm, we're, I guess I'm trying to figure out in your experience, at least in the US is, can you follow the smart money confidently? Like, is this like across the board people are using, using this data effectively, or is it still kind of hit and miss in terms of how this data is being used? Yeah, it's a really good question. Kind of a few questions in there, but I think as far as the large investors, whether they're publicly traded or private, that pie is just growing uh, as far as, as the number of people using the data. Not everyone's ingesting this data yet, but a lot are. A large number of people are, and more and more people are every day adding this into to their due diligence and their portfolio analysis. And it is new, right? So it's, it's still growing. And, uh, and then, yeah, as far as, you know, that campus expansion and development patterns, I'd say just really high level, we're offering one data set of many. And there's so many other considerations when investing in development patterns, uh, the population growth, jobs. And so there's so many important things to look at uh, when you're looking at yield and return and IRR. And so, 
we kind of see this as, as, as you know, one arrow in your quiver, one one of many data sets that you should be thinking about and looking at. You know, I still make investments, and this is one thing I look at. But I look at, you know, yield and return and and the specific area I'm investing in as well. You know, alongside it. And I think one really other big piece is we have these risks, right? Like your fire risk there. There are a lot of things we can do as communities on the city level, on the state level, um, to, to find ways to mitigate all these risks. And, and we're, you know, we're seeing everywhere a lot of bonds going through and we pay for it on our taxes, right? But whether it's a seawall or a marsh restoration, or a fire break. And then there's also mitigation measures on individual properties that you can do. So it's not like this fear-driven, don't buy these properties here, this place is going to be vacant, but it's more we're trying to throw up a red flag and say, hey, you have this increased risk for wildfire here. And it starts a conversation about what to do about it. You know, I bought a lot of properties with environmental issues, knowing that I can remediate them. But I don't buy them without understanding exactly what they are and then putting rails around it and costs around it and, and figuring out what I can do to remediate those issues. Uh, and I think we can think about climate change in the same way, but it's more of a community level problem right, right. that needs to be solved. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. In thinking kind of more about climate change, and I know this is maybe a challenging question, but are there areas in North America that, in your opinion, will be most impacted or areas that are situated well for climate change? Yeah, I think uh, we try not to provide any kind of overall investment advice. And uh, I think what's interesting beyond that is just how, just like we were talking earlier, how different groups have different investment theses. And uh, some people really care about, like I said, water, which is probably not a huge risk. I'm just making an assumption where you all are, you know, domestic water availability. But these can be be problems in the United States. We have aquifers drying up and watersheds that the demand for the water really is outpacing the supply of water. And some folks care about extreme heat and kind of livability. And other people are thinking more about these total loss scenarios like flooding and fire. And so it really depends on the individual's kind of uh, risk tolerance and investment thesis, but I mean, uh, and I also say like every region has its specific issues too. So I couldn't say like you know go go buy here or invest here, <laughs> but I, I do think a lot of people are kind of creating uh, certain certain ideas about where to invest from this data, you know, alongside other data sets. This might be a hard question and maybe outside of the scope of what you're doing too, but just thinking about, you know, being immersed in in the data and watching kind of how this, this plays out. And this is pretty specific, I think, to what we've experienced over the last year in British Columbia. But do you see an urban-rural component to how this, this plays out over the next decades, kind of out to 2050? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've done some research around density urban and suburban growth and uh you know smart urban growth is is really sustainable i mean financially i'm not necessarily even talking environmentally but just financially the economies of scale you get in dense urban development but also your ability to to protect yourself against kind of these types of natural hazards you know take miami for instance right if you have a large population 
with good tax base, you can build the appropriate defenses needed against sea level rise, for instance. But as you get out more into suburban growth, you're, you know, you're more in the wild and you don't have a big population of people helping you. So you think kind of Northern California, the fires we've experienced here, the communities impacted are more exurban and suburban communities on the wildlife urban interface, right? You're on the edge of a big forested area that's prone for wildfires. You now have a risk for that rather than where I live kind of in the core of San Francisco, we have just a lot of natural defenses built in as well as, you know, fire departments and, and just the perimeter to wildlife urban interface really isn't there. So it's not an issue in denser environments, but we do see the, kind of growth patterns continually in more greenfield suburban developments here in the U.S. And, and those are the areas that are, are more prone to uh, climate risks. So Cal, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, has your role with Climate Check made you more or less optimistic when it comes to the future of our planet? Well, that's a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll digest that question for a second. I mean, I'm an optimist, you know, at heart. And I think, you know, People, the demand for this data is incredible. People's reactions to it. And so I think having the conversation is important. So I'm totally optimistic. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, uh, but I think making folks aware of what the risks are, how we can protect ourselves against the risk. And then ultimately, like, hey, how can we really mitigate the co- the fundamental causes of, of climate change, you know, as a kind of world community? And I think we can't really have those conversations meaningfully unless folks are engaged on a personal level and it's tangible to them and uh, and they have a horse in the race. And we all do, but I don't think everyone's aware of it yet. So I, I'm, uh, I'm totally optimistic. Look, there's a lot of smart people working on this stuff and concerned about it. And there's a lot of money behind it. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think in the end, there'll be some pain along the way, but in the end, I'm optimistic. That's a good question. Yeah, well, you know what? And it, it does seem just thinking out loud here in terms of what we've faced up here in the last year or two in terms of fires and floods and kind of everything in between. But it's kind of the rubber hitting the road moment where it seems like, you know, if you weren't thinking about it before, you're thinking about it now, whether it's because you can't get insurance on a, on a property. Right. Like there's all those little your things. basement's flooded. Yeah, that you didn't really, you know, it's one thing to think about, hey, in the future, we're going to see all this stuff. And now, you know, it's like it's come home to roost in, in a lot of ways, in s- some real tangible ways, at least in, in our communities up here. Yeah, totally. We all saw it with COVID, right? This kind of outlier event. And it was difficult. For a lot of folks and there was economic impact but you know we're we're, we're a pretty resilient species and we kind of figure it out and i think we're figuring a lot of that out and so i think this climate change can kind of be thought about as i mean even almost even easier thing to address right we're aware of it it's not this long tail event that no one's thinking about right there's a lot of conversations about it and we're actively trying to figure out ways to mitigate the causes and protect ourselves against the from the uh from the natural hazards that are changing because of it. You know, maybe just thinking about climate check in terms of a, of a business model, it sounds like you're working with, with some institutional investors. It sounds like you're working with municipalities as well. As I understand it, the, the kind of type in the address and, and get a report, 
Like, is it, is there a fee for that? Or can you talk about, I'm just kind of curious in terms of kind of growing, cause it seems like this is a phenomenal service that is just going to become more important. And I'm just kind of wondering a about the, you know, the business model and, and kind of the end goals here. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, our, our mission as a company is to disseminate this information, get it to every, every stakeholder. And so that includes the consumer and no one's really brought this uh, data to the small investor or the consumer. And so that, that's a fundamental part of our business model. And so we'll always have free information for the home buyer, home seller, or small investor. And so as far as our business model, yeah, we can monetize it. It's, it's fundamentally data licensing. We're getting more data out to folks that can use it. So whether it's commercial real estate, investors, lenders, listing portals, uh, data analytics companies, kind of there's all sorts of use cases. And so we want to we want to serve them, but we also want to always provide something to to the consumer. And we're, yeah, we're super excited about the Canadian market. We've had so much interest uh, up there from you know the consumer, the investor, uh, data analytics companies that we're actively talking to, as as well as just the the amount of interest from the Canadian government is uh is just a whole other level. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're very excited about that market and we're, we're actively working on those data sets now. Wow. So if I, and so Cal, this could potentially take form as like a plugin, uh, that's on like a, a listings portal site where someone is, you know, looking at a property and then it says like, it has the, the climate score just to the right of the property. It's like the walk score, but it's the almost like walk score. score yeah. Is that, is that, am yeah, I envisioning totally. that? Yeah, think about walkability data or, or maybe pro- transaction history data. Um, and there's so much data you get on a listing, on a listing, whether it's on a broker site or a portal or wherever, you know, AVMs, kind of evaluation tools, cool districts, everything. And so we'd like to see kind of climate, climate data right there next to all of that critical information. And I think we're talking to all the right people, and yeah, just super excited about the rollout up there. Right, right you know, on. Interest is is uh, is is uh, is there for sure. And and maybe just thinking about this before, so it's so so it's really exciting that you guys are potentially going to have some data sets for Canada. It sounds like in the near term or in the near future, I should say. But I'm just thinking about Canadians here because I was looking at the site and I was thinking, oh man, I I don't really have many addresses in the states. Would you say, like, is it for people in Vancouver, is it looking at like Bellingham, Washington? Is that like a good proxy? Should you just go straight south if you want to see, get an idea of that in terms of like the closest, yeah, I, the closest U.S. Yeah. Uh, border crossing type idea? Yeah. I mean, I think maybe like border properties might be good to look at. I mean, just checking out the website for places and addresses you're familiar with in the U.S. would probably just give you a good idea of the product and what kind of hazards we currently cover. But every area is unique, uh, you know, especially when we start talking about flood risk, right? And that's to do with precipitation and and, uh, and the elevation maps right. and the soil types and the porosity of the soil. And so a lot of these hazards are so unique, block to block, even property to property as you can imagine for flood and, you know, fire, you can think about similarly. The data is pretty granular. It's much bigger than, than a, a kind of city level. Uh, you can have one kind of corner of a city that might have more exposure to 
the wildlife urban interface, another part of the city that's maybe more insulated for maybe geographic reasons or density. So it's really unique to the city. So I think that's why, you know, we take our time kind of curating the data sets and making sure that we're presenting the correct data. Excellent. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there. But but Cal, we have uh, the Five Wire, a segment on our show, Five Lighthearted Questions to End the Show. Can you stick around for that? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, Matt, I think you have question number one. I have question number one. It's usually a Vancouver-specific question, but because you're you're down in California, Cal, maybe we'll change it up this week. Favorite movie? Favorite movie? Well, I just saw James Bond in the theater, which was awesome to get back in the movie theater. So we'll go with that. <laughs> nice. Right on. Uh, favorite band or song? Oh, man. Man, I've I've been working too much, not listening to enough music. I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> you know what? We can leave it there. If you think of something, uh, let us know. Uh, but one book, and this is an interesting, I think a really interesting question for you, but one book you would recommend for our listeners? You know, I just finished, uh, I like historic and historic fiction. I just read a, a book, uh, Carl Melantis wrote this book called Deep river and it's about uh the seattle area and the immigrants and logging and i think that's kind of close to you all just down the way and it's uh it's a raw book with great narrative it's pretty epic and uh i highly recommend it. it's the best book i've read in a few years and I read a lot of books oh right on it's great question number four is what is one piece of advice that you'd give your 18 year old self oh man just keep working hard <laughs> easy, easy be nice to everybody smile <laughs> uh, and finally something you have bought for under fifteen hundred dollars in the last year or two that has had a positive impact on your life or maybe even transformative uh covid mask <laughs> Good answer. we haven't we haven't had that one so that seems a, like an obvious one well but, well uh, under fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> Um, excellent well cal how can people find out more about what you're up to and of course climate check yeah just uh keep your eyes peeled for uh a canadian rollout i think if any brokers or or listing sites are interested or investors you know reach out ahead of time and uh we'll, we'll kind of put you on our list and uh and let you know when the data set's rolling out up there and uh and check out the website and stay tuned and really appreciate the time today guys no, well, especially on your holidays here, we appreciate your time. And uh, it's so, I, I think I said to you before we went live in our previous conversation, but this is a topic that we've been thinking a lot about and it's just, it's hard to, you know, it's nice to have somebody like you, on it. <laughs> you are actually the perfect guy to talk to. So thanks so much for your time. Hey, really appreciate it. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Cal Inman, CEO and principal at climatecheck.com. Matt, really enjoyed that conversation with Cal. I got to say, Cal is a is a kind of guy you kind of want to get a beer with. He's got that kind of West Coast vibe about him, super bright, developer, lecturer, super interesting business he's creating, and well, can how you imagine, useful. Can you imagine thinking about, like, and again, going back to this idea of it being like the walk score thinking, man, there's so much data out there that a lot of people are using in academia and institutional investors are drawing on it. And I want to make this 
easily digestible to the public. Like, that's a great idea. But right. I think if I even had an idea like that, I'd think about it for about three minutes and go, man, that's a great idea. And then you go back to your and belly. Because lane. I, because yeah. I go, because it would just seem impossible. Yeah. Like yeah. how to actually bring that where you can type in any address in the United States and get a score almost instantaneously. A score. Yeah. It, it's unreal. And, and the exciting thing is, I think, uh, I can't remember if he said this actually in the interview, a lot of Canadian interest and they're, they're working on something up here. So it could could really be a benefit for us as Canadians. It also occurred to me that at one point of the conversation, when he was talking about all the articles, I was thinking premium JSTOR account. However, JSTOR is more for um, your- the Humanities? Your humanities. Is that true? Is, is, is this more of an EBSCO <laughs> question? Because I, I actually wonder if these search databases actually exist still. Any, anymore. Yeah. Well, I think EBSCO You might EBSCO be dating host, yourself. No, oh, come on. EBSCO host lives on forever. Yeah, you can't disrupt. That's like disrupting Bitcoin. It's too big. Like, EBSCO is host is too around? big. EBSCO yeah. host is too big. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm still using AltaVista. But here's, here's the thing, though. That is uh, such a good idea that Cal has had and I cannot wait for it to be in Canada because this is what we need right now, right? Because I, I love to think about this stuff but I have no idea. Like That's is Winnipeg, the spot. That's is, the is Edmonton, spot. like I feel like there's a huge blind spot right now because yeah. I would argue that Vancouver is the best situated and now I'm starting to think like I had a conversation with a client of mine in California and I think we've talked about this maybe even on the show but this notion that like, hey, you know, deserts are well situated for global warming because they'll just burn hotter, you know, but there's, there's less to burn. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and except for the, for water, that's, that's except for water. Well, here's the thing. The more we talk about this, the more we're going to show that at least one of us knows nothing about it. And I, I think <laughs> and it's, it's unclear which one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll maybe leave it there, but Matt, what else do we have before we cut for the day? What else do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. I feel like there's a lot more people listening to the show recently. And if you're welcome new to the all. show, welcome to the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. You'll want to head over to our website. We have transcripts of past episodes. We have the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Right. We also have the Livewire. The Livewire is our weekly mailer. This is where you get up-to-date information about the podcast. You get the deal of the month. You get stats before anyone else. You get VIP access to pre-sales including commercial pre-sales that are very exciting. Right. There is no reason why you don't want to be on the VRAP Livewire, and you can get that at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have, of course, private client services. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free at your fingertips. This is the best way to look for real estate in the Lower Mainland. Definitely head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Sign up for your own free account. I also want to say, I just, at the gym today, listened to the no top deal. MBD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's no, yeah. that's yeah, MBD. That's just gym. my regular, that's what gym. I do. That's what I do. <laughs> Here's the thing. Listening to Corey Wright and um, Rod talk about the top five areas to invest for commercial real estate in BC. Yeah. Really good conversation. And I got to say, if you're, if you're looking to learn about five exciting markets in the commercial world, definitely download that show. It's a good yeah, one. That's last episode of the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Yeah, great episode as they all are. And last but not least, just when you were doing the power walk thing, yeah. shout out to uh, Gal 
Okay, so yeah. Gal is a guy who lives in Vancouver. Spoke to him the other day, longtime listener. I said, do you have PCS? And he yeah. basically gave the pitch to me. Oh, wow. Word for word. It was incredible. Well, no, I appreciate that. He, I, I came up with that at the gym. You, you, <laughs> I hashed it out at the gym. NVD. All right. <laughs> How can people get in touch with you? Give me a call at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line. Got some hot Kokomo guests coming up. Oh, man. Info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Yeah. Super hot Kokomo guests. This is super exciting. And Kokomo Studios is living on. Have a great week, guys. And uh, yeah, we're back next week with a fantastic episode. Who do we got next week just before Murtaza, we... Uh, past guest fan favorite, Murtaza Hyder's back. Oh, man. This guy... He's honestly one of my favorite guests we we get to talk to. He's yeah. an engineer. He's a professor, but he... He's a professor at Ryers out of Toronto. Background in engineering, but what is I like about so him insightful. Is, yeah, and he's so logical. Everything is like, man, it's just like... He just puts it down. It's and it's like, it's market predictions, it's inflation, it's interest rates, it's it's what's happening in the world of real estate, it's policy, it's the cooling down period, it's also the um cooling up period. No, what? now you're just making <laughs> stuff up. Uh, it's uh what what is the the latest oh, the, the, uh, the end of blind bidding. We oh, talk the end about, of blind bidding, of it course. It is yeah. a it, we run the gamut, but right. it's a fantastic episode. See you next week, guys. Take care. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. 
We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.